Hello, welcome to Trekkie and Beyond, a Star Trek podcast. This is season one, Mission Review. I'm Monika. And I'm Andrea. And welcome everyone to the season one review of Star Trek Discovery. And today we have a guest host with us. So please welcome fellow Star Trek fan, Celeste. Hello everyone. I feel so honored to be here today. Um, I'm a little older than Andrea Monica, so I came up with the original Star Trek, and so, you know, I just remember how much fun it was as a kid. Studio <laughs> um, scenes and props that looked so real to me as a kid that now I look back and I just lap up a storm. So thank you for having me. Well, it is no problem. We are very happy to have you. So for this episode, it's going to be a little bit different than what we normally do. Um, each one of us, we're going to share our top three standout moments or observations or themes from this season. Um, so Celeste, as our guest, let's get us started. What was your reaction to this to season one? Well, I was actually... Um... When I first started watching it, um, there was a coworker of mine who knew I love Star Trek. And he kept saying, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. And I'm like, I don't want to pay for one more streaming service. But he kept telling me how great it was. So I was like, okay. So I went on, got CBS Access, start watching it. And I was a little disillusioned in the first few, you know, first few episodes because it was the moral code of the Federation is strong throughout every iteration of Star Trek. And it was a slippery slope for me. Um, even Michael, who always wants to do the right thing, I had never seen anyone really buck, you know, authority mm -hmm. to that extent. And then, you know, it just seemed like people weren't really holding tight to the credo. And that concerned me, but um, my friend who told me to watch it kept telling me, just stick with it, just stick with it. It's going, you're gonna love it, you're gonna love it. And he did not tell a fib. I loved it. I loved all the twists and turns. Um, I especially loved, you know, seeing a sister girl up there as the lead character. You know, because you heard you that was like, she was a branch captain. So she just sat down every episode, basically. <laughs> and, you know, uh, yes, captain, no captain. But um, I really loved the way we got to see who she was. I love the fact she was actually a surrogate daughter to Spock. That was a big plus for me. Sister. I mean, a surrogate sister to Spock. And I'm like, you know, because throughout the episodes, we, you know, we, Spock is like this, the stoic kind of person, you know, next to Captain Kirk. And just to see, you know, that, that humanized him more for me, you know, um, having her, having a human sister, um, the dysfunctional dynamics of the relationship as she talked about it you know, um, and dealing with her past and, you know, not having her parents there. So um, I loved it. I mean, oh my God, the mirror world, you cannot talk the mirror world. 
<laughs> you know, uh, so it was just so many twists and turns and who was bad, who was good. But I guess the biggest, when I think of surprise to me and shock to me was finding out that Ash was really Vogue. That, <laughs> boom, that blew that blew my mind. That blew my mind totally. So, um, and I'm a sucker for a love story. So I love, I love the fact that she and um, Ash were like romantically, you know, attracted to each other. And, you know, um, so everything was just, it was just, once you got into it and once it started moving, you could not take your eyes away from it. You know, uh, spore yeah. travel, you know, uh Mira Giorgio a badass you know um mm -hmm. I just want to be her when I grow up you know <laughs> so it was it was just awesome I I loved the I just loved it I really did well I'm glad I'm glad Monica what were your reactions to this season to this season as similar to Celeste I was excited to see a separation a deviation away from like lots of single episodes to like a longer saga and i feel like each, each of the so all 15 episodes was part of this this episode saga that's like the without freestanding episodes even the ones that i didn't really like was still connected to the bigger story uh, compared to the original star trek next generation i mean they had a few like to be continued they had a few um connected episodes but most of them are, were freestanding and this was like just a space opera like with romance and ethical dilemmas um military drama and action and i'm excited to continue this discussion and looking forward to watching more discovery okay um and then so for me um this episode because i'm like the evil person as some people will tell me so many ups and downs <laughs> not even on this podcast people um but so many ups and downs this season um there are a lot of lessons learned and there are hills that i will die on um as you guys know from the earlier episodes i still don't believe michael should have been court-martialed the way she was like no nah, she was trying to save y'all butts people i know she was wrong but again still hill that i would die on um but it was a good first season. Um, again, I like that how almost every episode was sort of connected. So um, I don't know if the rest of the season or the rest of the other seasons are going to be like this, but it was nice that there was one cohesive story um, just so that way it, it made you want to come back. I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people probably did come back in the very beginning was because it wasn't like a different storyline each episode. They were all cohesive. They were all together. Um, so that way, if you wanted to know how did this war with the Klingons ended, you had to watch every episode to get there. Um, so I like that they did that. Um, I will say I will need Michael to make more decisions with her brain. Um, I didn't like how every time she made a decision with her heart, it went wrong and I need her to stop doing that. Um, but I did also like to see the growth within her where she can feel like she could use her emotions, but just not let it overpower her like she has. So um, good first season. I'm very happy I watched it. There were some episodes that I'm just like, we can just delete that from history, but um, we'll get into that in a little bit later. Um, so as we transition to the next part of this episode, um, Monica, what is your first 
uh, favorite memory or observation or standout moments observation from season one? Uh, my favorite moments, uh, I think will sh shocked me, definitely will last with me forever is to look at and, and think about the special gift that Mira, Mira Giorgio gave to Michael. And then also Michael gave a special gift to Lorca. So all of these special gifts, which are really like just awful. <laughs> um, eating a Kelpian penelto, that was just awful. But that was a memorable moment for me because at first I was like, I don't think I got that right. I had to rewatch that because it was like a complete disbelief that yes. it would go to that level. But in the mirror universe, anything goes. And um, unfortunately, um, Saru's people are enslaved and um, to the point in which they're like the lowest on the Tudum pole um, and, and a special treat during dinner. Awful. But on the bright side, <laughs> I really liked also seeing Ripper go free and mm -hmm. um, quite sure what they were going to do with Ripper and all of um, the special talents available with the spore drive and how much they are going to continue to test and experiment, um, trade, and the fact that other ships were looking for Ripper. I wasn't quite sure where that was going to go. But to see Ripper go free was a special touching moment for me. It was like free Willy. And I was like, fly away. <laughs> a few minutes ago to that scene where he went free, he was curled up in a bowl. And so, so um, yeah, just to see him come back alive again. Yeah. What about the two of you? Any special moments? <sighs> special moments. Um... I, I do have to say, you know, the whole sport drive thing um, was something very, very um, odd to me, you know, because I had always saw, you know, uh, Star Trek and, and then the Federation on a whole, it's, you know, these light years away and the technology and all of that. Um, the fact that they needed a spore drive was kind of shocking to me, you know, like, uh, um, even though I know it was, you know, some new technology that they just came upon, but um, it was, um, I found it kind of annoying um, because it was, it took, it took someone to actually, um, what's, the, what's, the, what's the doctor's name? Uh, you, you mean Paul? Paul. You know, it's a Paul. Yes. yes. For him to, you know, actually make this war drive work. Um, the fact that they were scooting all around. It was, it was basically instead of, you know, it was really time travel. That's really all it was, you know, was time travel. Um, and that's something that I wasn't really that familiar with in regards to, and you guys seen some of the um um star trek shows that i didn't really look at so the whole um time travel thing which always creeps me out in all my sci-fi stuff because i can't keep up i don't know what to do when i find myself on the other side you know <laughs> does that 
Does that, you know, because it's like the butterfly effect, you know, is it going to change something? But Paul saw himself, you know, and interacted mm -hmm. with himself, which everyone knows in time travel. That's a no, no. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the key is to never encounter yourself in time travel. It changes too much stuff, you know? So, um, so for me, you know, that was like, that was really different and I could have kind of did without it, but you know, it was, it worked, it, it, it worked in the scheme of things, you know, somewhere along the line, but it was one of the things I kind of could have done without. Understandable. Very understandable. Um, I'm with uh, Monica when it comes to the uh, Kelpian ganglia. <laughs> Um, because I was I was very shocked because like I haven't really Saru and I haven't been best friends this season but even to see a Kelpian like to show the threat like it was just such the wording of what she, the way she did it she fed it to her and like that's the part that makes them realize danger and she fed her the part that says you should realize you're in danger because mm -hmm. I'm feeding you the thing that they use to like sense danger that was like such a cannibalism. <laughs> it was like this was uh, I'm I'm making you eat this, but I'm also letting you know you're in danger. And it's like that that just double entendre of that food was just I like that moment. Also, Michael picked out the Kelpian. Yeah, yep. she thought she was getting another slave. I'm pretty sure she thought she was gonna get like another slave, and to find out that she was eating him was like. Oh, well, I'm glad she didn't pick the one. She didn't, she didn't pick our Saru of the Mary universe. I know, I know. Um, um, so Celeste, what was yours? So we can keep this uh, episode going because we have a lot we could talk about. Um, what was your favorite uh, standout moment or observation or a uh, piece of information that you want to share with us? What was your one of your favorite mm, slots <laughs> of season one? <laughs> One of my favorite standout moment, moments. Hmm. It, it was. It was kind of. I mean, for me, I did love the relationship, even though Michael had this longing for a mother. I loved the relationship with her and Georgia. Um. You know. Um. Mm -hmm. Her. Her world, Georgia, and then it rolled over to the uh, to the Mira, Georgia. And even though they were all different, there was that common thread of love there, mm -hmm. you know, and that need for Giorgio to still protect Michael, even though Mira Michael betrayed her, you know, by falling in love with, with Lorca and, and um, they were going to try to dethrone her, but she still had this motherly thing for Michael and their relationship, no matter how dysfunctional it was, was very real and very tangent to me. And I, I really did. And, and you know, I you know I like that. I mean, you know, and I think I would have liked because we didn't get a lot of of, of real world Georgia. Mm -hmm. You know, the nights we got to really get to know badass Georgia who um, take names, don't take names in prison. She just like, I'm here. But what she, she had for Michael later. was real. 
that's real. It was very, very real. And she would protect her with her life, no matter what, even when she was the rudest, the most tactless, no filter and how she treated everyone else. But her goal was always to protect Michael. And for someone like myself, who've had lifelong friendships and things like that, I always love the girl power connection, you know? Um, so I, I really did. That, that was one of the things for me that I enjoyed watching, you know, as this went along. You know, that she did not lose her mother figure. Even when she lost her, she didn't lose her. Not sure. Monique, anything to add to that? Michael just had a, a big character journey, an arc in this storyline um, to finally learn about her father's past, her parents' passing, and how that instilled fear and anger, hatred towards the Klingons, um, really sparked um, the Battle of the Binary Stars. Mm -hmm. and um, lots of other decisions that she made along the way as well, because she wouldn't have met um, Sarek and maybe her trajectory and her career would have been different as well. Um, but to see like this gritty side of war and we're not used to seeing that in other episodes and other For series, sure. mm -hmm. like really like the mining uh, to get the dilithium crystals, the like, what happens to orphans and like there's just so much fear and hatred and just misunderstanding and uh it just keeps going on and on um which to me really matched the world we're living in today in regards to i mean to me star trek was always about um our differences aren't that different and when you get when you go when you walk in ship and you walk into the bar in the starship, you will see every kind of planetary species there is talking, getting along, saying, you know, and to me, it always represented, you know, what the world should be, you know, in regards to no matter race, creed, color, where you come from, we all have a commonality. And mm -hmm. so for me, that's, that's what Star Trek has always meant to me, though. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so I'm going to start off on a downer. Um, my memorable <laughs> <laughs> moments or observation or what, what have you from season one um, is the worst episode. The episode that I hated the most. And I like literally watching it was like my <laughs> eyes. I want to pull my eyes out of my head because I was so mad at everything in this episode. Episode seven magic to make the sanest man go mad basically the one where harry mud is there and keeps him going in that time loop oh, I, I hate mud i hated, I hated mud. that episode because all everything else aside everything else aside everything else they made michael admit that she was never in love made her seem like this lovesick puppy for ash made her seem so weak whatever when it came to a man whatever Mud killed them like a hundred times and got to marry the rich girl. Yeah, <laughs> will never, ever, ever be okay with that. <laughs> he killed them literally <laughs> hundreds of times to the point where oh, Paul, who was like, 
ingesting sugar and coffee all the time to be hyperactive or whatever was like I'm tired I am tired of dying like no this episode I, if I was Paul I just would have shot him in the head at the end of it in front of Stella like you know what pop because you killed me a, a hundred <laughs> times um <laughs> can we look at the bright side I mean okay so the bright side of that was what they did this season was they did keep one story continuously moving, but they were also able to throw in some stupidity. You know what I'm saying mm -hmm. with the mud episode and a couple other things that I thought didn't really um, help the main storyline. Um, but I guess that was their way, Monica, like you said, in the, in the past, it was like each episode was a different story. So I guess maybe somewhere along the line, someone didn't feel comfortable with just keeping that same theme throughout. So they had to throw in some foolishness. Well, I also think Mud was fan service because let's face it, this Discovery series is a lot different than mm -hmm. the other Star Trek series. So let's make, add some Easter eggs to connect to the... Um, at all of the Star Trek fans across the world and 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 start with and integrate some characters from and that's the only time because they're in a different timeline so. right right <laughs> okay well we're gonna take a quick break um rehydrate and come up with the rest of our rest of this episode <laughs> and we will be right back so please don't go anywhere stick around talk to you soon Welcome back to the second half of our season one review. Okay, guys. So we've gone through the first uh, memorable moments, um, worst episodes, or just observations from season one. And now we each have two left. So Monica, start us off on what was your second, but not second favorite, but just the second one in your list of memorable moments or observations or the part that you want to share from season one. Sure. I noticed some running themes and uh, it's something that we all deal with at some point in time in our life and that's grief or fear. And in some cases there's redemption, but those are the three big themes that I noticed in this episode. And um, just to give a little context, I noticed that like regardless of if it's in this universe or in the mirror universe, 23rd century humans, no matter where, are encountering the same struggles that we're accounting with, with fear and grief and revenge and the need for control. And so it's interesting to see that. Um, it even goes to show that no matter if there's advances in science and technology, we still haven't evolved and, and resolved in emotional intelligence to persevere and, um, and think before we leap, like in Michael's case a lot. <laughs> and, um, emotional intelligence is tough. And over these centuries, it's still not answered. And it's, it's not sometimes logical and you can't write a computer program to implement it or generate a robot to make these tough decisions. Um, it's, it's just a reoccurring theme that I saw in many aspects from um, Michael's kind of origin story and her story of like um, overcoming her fear of Klingons and, um, and grieving for her parents. 
Um, the ba Battle of the Binary Stars all started really because the Klingons were grieving the loss of one of their kin and Michael interrupted that, their grieving process. And so they went crazy because of, <laughs> because of, of that. And then, um, there was also the grieving for all the people that were lost in the USS Glenn, the Shenzhou. Um, right within this time and then there was that party with mud because they were like trying to deal with all these frustrations um and the list goes on and on um oh one more laurel was grieving to the point in which she like frankenstein ash so oh that he God. had a hybrid of bulk within him so <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot of that that was that was taking place and there's a difference between the grief and grieving and it showed true grieving within and how people are struggling with coming turn to that to the point in which they're making bad decisions mm -hmm. yeah sorry that's I, a downer what did oh, you no. all think about i, <laughs> I can definitely I, I can, agree with that i can definitely yeah. agree that uh, grief uh is a definite uh theme in here because we even see the admiral through her grief of losing the 80,000 uh, Starfleet people to cling to 247 Klingons, because that's just embarrassing. Sorry to the rest in peace people. Um, but it was a, she was willing to then uh, forget all of her Starfleet training to commit the same exact genocide to people who, to the Klingons. And it was just like, that's not who Starfleet is. I mean, granted, you would win more wars if you were like that Starfleet, just saying, but that's not who they were. Um, and we saw that that grief um, drove her to that because she was just in disbelief and she was going to the stages. And at that point, she was in anger and she was uh, she just wanted to hurt them back as much as she was hurting. Um, so no, I definitely agree with you. Definitely agree. No, I do. And, and, and you know, what's so funny is, um, which is really good, as long as man with all his ego, greed, and everything else that he has is still writing this crap, <laughs> it's going to always be a part of it because it's what we know, mm -hmm. you, you know? And like, even for those of us, whether whatever you believe or whoever you believe in, but if you go back to the Bible, these are the same tenets that holds true today where of, of, of man and his greed and how he masks it in the need uh, for a greater need or a greater purpose when it holds no greater purpose only to one's ego or or one's own agenda, you know? So, um, but I do hope, Monica, that somewhere far out in the galaxy, some life form has overcome. And I know what you're saying because, you know, um, it's just things that we see in our day-to-day -day life too, you know, um, and I sit here, you know, depending on where one, one's mindset is, where, what one's belief system is, some things, you know, for all of us, some things you're like, all right, go ahead, who cares? And some mm -hmm. things are just horrific, mm -hmm. you know, based on where you stand. So, um, but I think when it comes to, um, power, money, unfortunately, man will always disappoint in that fiction is, and in reality. That is very true. Um, but I think that's a good segue into what your theme was for this episode, Celeste. 
conspiracy, betrayal, and loyalty. Um, Michael, Michael moves off of loyalty on a constant to our own detriment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'd like to say for the people she loves, because she sees everyone on that ship as a part of her family. Um, so she will, she'll risk her life. Uh, she'll risk her reputation, her career, everything. When as a commander, cause it goes back to what you were saying Sierra, in the beginning, you just wish she didn't move off emotion. It really is an emotion. I, I think it's more so based in her origin story of feeling abandoned by her parents. And I think that drives her. And even though, you know, she became part of a family, she was still always an outsider within that family. So I think this is the closest thing she's ever had to a family. And that drives her. So her love and her loyalty to them rises above, you know, thinking mm-hmm. of what about this? What about that? You know, um, the betrayal. So she winds up at times being coming out a bad guy for the right reasons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, hell so, I would die on people. The hell and that like, I would die and for on. And for Saru, Saru has felt betrayed by her. You know, Pretty because good. Saru is strictly by the book. So as much as he loves Michael, you know, he throw in the brink in a heartbeat. because it goes against you know what he thinks is right so yeah so to me everything was about the conspiracies of of you know people from the mirror world not knowing who had crossed over trying to get back to you know michael's loyal loyalty to all this betrayal and that's how i saw the first season it was just wrapped in all of that Anything to add, Monica? I think I heard you uh, wanted to, I think I saw you wanted to say something. I thought it was really out of character because I agree with you, Celeste, that Michael is deeply engulfed in loyalty, but she t- she used the Vulcan pence to take a go- Giorgio make her unconscious, like send her mm-hmm. unconscious so that she could command a U.S. Dis- uh, actually, I think it was Dissenju at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was and To take command of the ship. And I think that that was just a strange, I don't know, change in events. And maybe it's because Sarek, she was more loyal to Sarek, but it seemed like she had a tight bond with Giorgio to to right. like to take her no, out I like agree. that that was just wrong no, I, and um, <laughs> yeah, yeah i can Michael i can definitely can be, i can agree with that can be the end justifies the means kind of person which and isn't always is the right the way of the season that's definitely who she is at the beginning of the season she is in her mind she was seeing her still being loyal to Giorgio because in her mind she was what she was doing was to overall save them not to take over to basically like surrender but hey like people who have been in this situation are telling me what to do I'm going to listen to them because they know what to do 
I'm sorry, like I'm still loyal to you, but you're not making the right decision. And at that so point, her, fault, was, her narcissism is her fault. And so, like, uh, it was like almost like a betrayal to be loyal. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it was like, she, she doesn't make smart decisions. And even that's the theme this whole season as well. She just doesn't make smart yeah. decisions for being a Vulcan, supposed to be so smart. But <laughs> she's adopted by Vulcans. Exactly. <laughs> Which is Vulcan, she adopted whatever she could, but at the end of the day she is no login and yeah. she has a narcissistic personality in some ways not to the point where you hate her but there is some narcissism in this i think this is right so this is right um and i don't care what you say or what you say so for those of us who um you know like my family operates like we are in we're in Godfather part two. Your loyalty or nothing, you know what I'm saying? So there's that part of me. I ride with her on that. But then if I'm gonna step back and look, um, when Michael thinks something is right, she can't hear anything else. And that's not a good look for her. You're very right. You're very right. Um, so we're gonna go into my special moment now or observation or thing from season one um mine is the best shock that i got from this season and i mean like the jaw dropper i had to rewatch this because i was like what are you saying this doesn't make sense of the season and for me that was finding out that Lorca was from the mirror universe originally um i did not see that coming at all whatsoever i and like i will say monica you kept like dropping hints like um I, it doesn't really seem right that he would do this i was like but no like right. why, would he, why would he randomly go to a mirror universe like no like he didn't mean to do that he was trying to do something else and how literally every single dot of everything that we were like i don't know why he's doing that Oh, is he being like? Is he trying to like talk? Breaking Michael out, making like, Michael, which get the whole he, thing. Everything mm -hmm. was to get him back to the mirror universe, and to find out not even from him, but for Michael to figure out by seeing the way Giorgio reacted to light, and it's like that's the one difference between our universe and my universe and yours is our our affection, our um sensitivity to light, and I and like I was like no, no. No, no, that to me was the best um, plot twist. That was the best. Oh, for sure, um, for sure. Like, you always set it up to where, you know, you couldn't really trust him. You couldn't really fully trust him. And you're like, okay, for him, he was very much the ends justified the means. And he was very much, I'm going to do what I need to do to get to the result that I want. And the result always sort of works out in Starfleet's favor. But it's like, did you really have to do what you did to get there? And it also explains why he didn't really trust Saru so much because he didn't like and oh my gosh there's so much that's unlocking exactly, in my head right because now because he was so below him you're the gum on my shoe in my world you know what I'm saying I eat you so, so like that to me was the biggest shock of season one was just that because I could not I there was nothing that would have prepared me to believe he was from the Mary universe like trying to get there to steal from them whatever but to be yes. exactly from there i was very shocked and like, but he was in this for the long game like he was been plotting oh this for 266 yes. days to get you to that what? point it's like you're focusing on other things and you're right he had the long game he was the reason in the beginning i kept saying i don't know if i'm gonna like this because 
no Starfleet captain acts like this. I, in any Star Trek I've ever seen, they are the most upstanding people, you know, the most mm -hmm. with the moral code. I'm like, this dude is a gangster. <laughs> he would he would cut corners and he would say, all right, let's do it. And I was like, something, but we all knew, we have to admit, we all knew something was not right with him. Something was up. We but just I didn't. didn't know. But you're right, Monique, of the long game. I could not have said it better. Everyone else is playing checks, checks, chess, check, checkers. <laughs> and he's playing chess. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, could not think of the word. I'm sorry, people. Um, so let's go ahead and get on to the last um, memorable moments from each of us. So, Monica, what was your third memorable moment of season or observation, what have you, from season one? So I debated this for a while, and it's mainly because they brought it up. So it was a question that's been lingering with me for a few episodes. Who's Michael's tether? Like, who, who is she supposed to be connected to? And I really think now, based on the season finale, that is Amanda and Sarek, who helped raise her, to adopted her, to balance both the human side of her as mm -hmm. well as her Vulcan logic that she sometimes uses for science and sometimes she does it. But yeah. <laughs> they are the ones that helped instill some ethical balance within her. And who knows where she would be without them. But um, I, I just think that in the end, it's Amanda and Sarek. And I was wondering what you two thought about Michael's tether as well. There's a lot of people that helped her along these, this journey. Well, this is a good segue to what Celeste's third one is as well. So Celeste, how about you answer her and then I'll let you guys know. Yeah, what I mean, because for me, I, I think her tether is her moral code, her need to do the right thing in any situation. Um, and in reality, she, she sees um, everyone, you know, um, as her family, but it's not that she could have a ship full of strangers. And if she thought she would risk her life to save every one of them. So to me, her tether is just that need to save, to do the right thing. Um, and I think we saw that theme throughout everything she did. I mean, she loves Tilly. Tilly, frankly, gets on my nerve, but... <laughs> Yes, I said I love it. Tilly. He's too much reassurance for me. It drives me cray cray. So <laughs> I don't dislike Tilly, but um, yeah, she's annoying though. She's that annoying friend. You love her, but she gets on your nerve. Um, but <laughs> my but Michael just um, no matter what, she will she'll go against every person who she truly truly loves who'll tell her what she's doing wrong if she believes that this is going to save everybody this is right so I still go back to her her moral code and her need to do the right thing I think that tethers her to to everything um so I sort of think you're both right and but at different moments within the show um mm -hmm. I definitely believe in the very beginning um uh we I believe her tether is her moral code like she believes what she believes is right 
But then as the season goes on and then we see more of the history um, and more of the story behind her and Sarah and her and Amanda and to see how much they actually mean to her, I think she had to grow into them being her, like accepting them as her, te- as her tether. Because when it came right. down to it, she sort of went back to what they taught her um, emotionally to sort of move forward. And like, mm-hmm. I liked how the last episode, she was with her mother again and her father, Sarek, was the one to tell her she was reinstated. Um, so I think you're both right, but at different points, because in the beginning, right. you definitely see she's used her more like, I think this is right, so I'm doing this. Um, but then we see when Sarek is in trouble, she drops everything. It's like, I got to get to him because right. um, I, I can't without him. I can't be without him. Basically, that's, right. that's my and father. That's the familial thing comes in and she has, to, you know, she's just a daughter trying to save her dad. Save her dad. Um, so I definitely think you guys are both right, but like at different points in the season um, and more of the point of like what she's realizing or what she mm-hmm. is aware of what her tether is at a certain point. Um, so moving on to my, to the last, uh, my, the last topic uh, of what have you from season one of the most memorable uh, items um, for mine is the best moment moments that I thought happened in uh, this season of Star Trek Discovery. Um, and I have to say, I liked at the very end, the last episode, when Michael stood up to the Admiral and told them that we're not doing this, we're not bombing Chronos, uh, um, and basically said, I started the season um, with a mutiny thinking I, know, I knew better to uh, basically take over, thinking I knew better, and now I'm going to, if I, if I have to mutiny again to save those lives, basically, I'm going to have to do it. Um, I can't remember the exact quote. It's written down somewhere because I think I said in the last episode. Um, and I was like, that was sort of full circle for her. She was going to, she did a mutiny in the very first episode because she thought she was right. And now she's doing a mutiny in the last episode and her crew members are actually with her this time. They're not against her like they were in the first episode. Um, and they all stood up with her and was like, we're going to mutiny with her if you try to do this. Um, and it was just like a full circle moment. They really did close, like, it was like a full loop. They closed the storyline. It was perfect. She learned what she needed to learn. Um, it was a great season. It was a great wrap up. Did she though? She did learn. For what I know right now, because I've only seen that season. <laughs> no, no, I know. I'm just saying that because she's always taking the nuclear approach she is she does she does not do anything easily um but monica did you agree with that statement for that best moment or did you like that best moment what do you think yes i I agree with you i think that was the the capstone to all of the mutiny charges (laughs) (laughs) just the fact that this crew feels as though the Admiral stirred them wrong and made uh, Mira Giorgio, the captain, to basically move forward right. with genocide. And they were like, this is crazy. We object. And they all objected in person, standing. I think that shows their support for for not only Michael, but the fact that this Admiral was also just going rogue and not thinking things through. Uh, so I, I, um, I like the fact that they had courage enough to do that because we all know that there's some folks as part of a team that wouldn't do that. Right. They're <laughs> worried about themselves, right? right. And, and it couldn't it possibly, 
you know, they could have been court-martialed or something like that. But um, I, I think it just shows a big change in, um, in their belief in the prime directive, which was just not following. Right. You know, and no, and honestly, I hear everything you guys are saying. So I guess for me in talking about, you know, that scene, because, you know, I'm 100 Michael all the way, you know, um, but when I look at like, does it seem like a, <clears throat> it's full circle, but does it seem like Michael learned something or it's a better moment because people stood behind her? then they didn't do it the first time, if I'm making sense. Even though it's the right move to make, that's all I'm saying. It was the right move to make because, you know, Starfleet would never, would never, I mean, genocide, that's not what Starfleet is about. So I think that was the right move, but it's like, I'm just saying, is it a better move than the first mutiny move because people stood behind her. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. So I'm only going to say yes because I found the quote people. Um, she, <laughs> okay. basically, she said a year ago I stood alone. I believe that our survival was more important than our principles. I was wrong. Do we need, do we need a mutiny today to prove who we are? Um, and I believe that's how I believe yes she grew because in the first in the first episode of this season she definitely um, did she went against against Starfleet's principles because she wanted to live basically, which I mean at the end of the day who doesn't want to live, but this right. time she knew going against Starfleet basic Starfleet's orders to preserve Starfleet's principles because um, this wasn't what Starfleet did, and if they went down this path it was never going to end they were not going to be who they were anymore, um, so I definitely see that this was a mutiny of principles versus the uh, um of like starfleet principles versus her personal uh her personal uh right months well so i do have yeah i do have to say that i do love the fact that this version of star trek is because none of the ones in the past that i've watched um Mutiny wasn't just on the table all the time. Saying, <laughs> so I'm glad that they are really playing around with the moral code of things. You know what I'm saying? The right, wrong. Sometimes mm -hmm. wrong is right, vice versa. And I don't think I've ever seen Star Trek truly play at it in the way they play at at it in Discovery in regards to um, authority. Um. Uh, you know, a bucking authority mm -hmm. like that. It's like, you may not agree with the captain, but when the captain say, I'm on the bridge, you know, it's, he says, you know, say hi that's hi. it. Yeah. That's it. So, you know, and if it comes out, okay, you good. If it doesn't, it's not. So I do love the way they play with the moral dilemmas in this oh. version in ways I've never seen before. I agree with you. I think she also manage the conflict better mm -hmm. in episode 15 versus episode one, one and two right like she just wanted to take Giorgio down because Giorgio didn't agree with her so that they could fire first but this time she talked it out she met on the bridge with um the Ad admiral um Cornwell 
it was a discussion right. in front of everyone. It was not like <laughs> making mm -hmm. a secret decision. And uh, I hope everyone's on board with that. So I think she's learned, hopefully, about conflict management. <laughs> right. And, and I think, you That's know, and I mean, you um, know. Sorry to cut in. Uh, we're getting a little close to the end of this episode. Um, so I want to make sure we have enough time to do our wrap ups. So this is just your final thoughts of what you like the most about Star Trek Discovery so far. Um, so just give us like your one sentence line because we only have a few minutes left <laughs> um, of what you thought of this season. If you could wrap it up into like one sentence, what would it be? Uh, who likes to be first, Celeste? I'll go first. For me, again, and I'll just reiterate what I said before. I love keeping the old format in a way, but really making it um, different. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love fleshing out the characters in this version in ways was never done in the other version. Um, you knew their names, you knew what their position was, but not who they were. And I like that this version has taken the time to really let us get to know the flaws and the good things about the characters other than Michael. Very true, very true. Monica? I love the diversity, the inclusion, the adoption story, not just representation, but positive representation. Right. I'm looking forward to having a non-human or human-like captain. <laughs> like, um, so like different uh, various because um, this is about the universe and it also goes to show if you're in the mirror universe or if you're in our universe your environment right. helps determine your path forward not who you look like what awesome. you look like um and for me um, you Andrea for me, uh, I, I will agree. I did love the diversity. I love that it wasn't a forced diversity. It was a natural one. Um, I love the, the positive representation. I'll agree with you. Um, and I'll just say, I just hope decisions are thought out better in the future <laughs> based <laughs> off of the season. Stay tuned. Um, exactly. <laughs> I just hope there's a better trend of decision making in, um, based off of the season. Um, so again, if you're watching us on YouTube, please hit that red button, hit subscribe. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Anchor or wherever else podcasts are listened to, go ahead and subscribe so that way you're alerted whenever we post a new episode. So as always, I'm Andrea. And I'm Anika. I'm Celeste. And live long and prosper. Long and prosper. Bye. Bye, everyone. Hey, guys, it's Andrea. Thank you so much for listening to the most recent episode of our podcast, Trek and Beyond. If you enjoyed it, please consider supporting us by clicking the support button in the episode's description. As always, guys, live long and prosper. Bye.